We are all about charity, and today's shout-out is to the Aid for the Hydra trans community in Bangladesh. COVID has been devastating for most communities, and none more so than the trans community in Bangladesh. So go to GoFundMe.com and search for the page Aid for the Hydra trans community in Bangladesh, Sarita's charity of choice today. Sex, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the speculative interdimensional vehicle, Sex in Space. Its mission, to explore new points of view, to seek out fresh opinions, to boldly go where so many have gone before, and still somehow manage to totally miss the point. Subscribe to Sex in Space, wherever quality podcasts are found. Hello, I'm Tim. Hi, I am Jess. And welcome back to Sex in Space, a mega project that explores sex across all of its infinite dimensions. Designed to turn the awkward into the straightforward and have some fun while we are at it. And today we are talking to an exceptional human being, Sarita Das, um, who is non-binary, queer, Bengali, Pakia, and I would also describe as a powerhouse actually. They're both a, a multidisciplinary artist and a somatic sex educator. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, <laughs> so juicy. Their drag persona is called Roti Boy, and they dabble in screen and theatre work currently. Um, they have hosted a couple of nights of a queer strip club, single-handedly organised, called Body House, um, which has been their lifelong dream, and I went to the last one. It was incredible really life-changing space so anyway we had this amazing conversation with Sarita Das um, about all things somatic sexology and otherwise and we hope you love it this is a juicy one isn't it Tim? it is juicy yes thoroughly enjoyed it let's dive in and now the interview It's such an entrance. Did it do you justice? I'm like, the powerhouse, I think you put that in there. (laughs) I did. I did not put that in there. (laughs) Do you consent to being a powerhouse? Why not? Why not? (laughs) It's it's, it's early in the day. You'll see it. (laughs) Yes. I think the thing that, I mean, there's so many things that tickle me there about that bio, but the thing that tickles me the most is like somatic sex educator. Every time I say it, I'm like, I have so many questions. Yeah. Um, somatic just literally means of the body. So it comes from the Greek word soma, um, and soma means body. So to differentiate it from other types of therapy like talk therapy, um, psychology s- of the study of the brain. So um, somatic therapy would be um, helping people through body-based techniques. So... Um, like is physiosomatic? I guess it would be. Hmm. It would be, yeah. Okay. Um, anything to do with your body would be somatic. Your other work would be somatic. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny word. And I think I put it in my – so my business name is Somatic Sarita, and I know it's a bit of a mouthful, but I put it in there because I want people to ask questions, and I want them to go and look it up and or ask me because it creates conversation um, around what it is. Instead of just being like, Sarita Das, sex coach, <laughs> or relationship mm. coach, intimacy coach, something. Mm. Yeah. You're saying it in this, like, um, in this... In a voice. T- <laughs> yeah. And you're like, what, what is in the voice? Is, voice. That, is that, like, a slightly jaded? Like, it's are you like, oh, the sex, sex coach, coach industry. Like, what is that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think there should be more sex coaches, for sure. But I guess... People, like, there's no, I, I, I shy away from saying coach. I use that language so that people can find me, so mm. that, like, search engines can find me. Yeah. But I think a coach is, like, you know, giving you 10 steps to healthier living or 10, 10 quick fire ways to get your man off, which is, like, not what I do. So, like, mm. all that, like, coach sort of language makes me feel like it's, I'm going to give you an easy answer to your problems. Why? Well, it's it's really not. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Nothing's going to change in one session. It's your like commitment to change and your ability to um, do the homework that I give you mm-hmm. as well, which provides change. <laughs> so a uh, uh, first session is a 
intro session. Yes, absolutely. Post that, it's homework mm-hmm. plus more sessions. So how did you get to be doing that work? I mean, I guess we'll dive into like what it looks like in a minute, but like, how did you get to there? Um, it was a very yeah. convoluted road. I, I think I've always wanted to be in a profession that is in a helping profession um, and institutionalized also. Uh, started off with psychology and wanted to be a clinical psychologist, but let's be honest, there's not, there's not enough grades that would be able to like keep that up. So like, I think they have a very high, high expectation of your ability to study hard, which is not a good reflection of whether you'll be a good therapist or not. Mm. Um, I just feel like it's those two things don't match up. And plus, I don't think I wanted to do research for the rest of my life, which is mm. a lot of what clinical psychology is. Mm. Um, I like being outside, so <laughs> it doesn't really, yeah, it didn't match up. Um, and so then I went and did my, like, um, postgrad in counseling, which is closer to what I wanted to do, but still it felt like quite like something missing. Um, and, like, it was all really good work, like working with youth and working with drug and alcohol um, abuse and stuff like that. So really stuff that I was really passionate about, but just didn't really, I felt still lackluster. Like it just wasn't something that I was like waking up every morning going, this is what I want to do. Um, and so I quit my postgrad and went and worked in retail, (laughs) found myself in, uh, working in a like, luxury lingerie store that also sold sex toys Mm -hmm. and fell in love with talking to people, mostly women, about orgasms and sex and communication, which was just so much more than selling lingerie. The company itself is incredibly problematic, but what I learned from it was good things Mm -hmm. and started me on the journey of wanting to do this. So then I was like, how do I become a sex educator? And Googled it for like six months and couldn't find anything and then I changed my search topic to who are the other sex educators? And then I looked up what they've done and I found one wonderful lady in Singapore and under her list of stuff was sexological body worker. And I was like, what the fuck is that? So I Googled that and I found the course that I've done two years of now. Um, and now I'm a sexological body worker. Oh. Yay. Are there many other people in New Zealand doing this? I think there's like a handful and I'm pretty sure I know all of them, like whether they trained with me at the same time or they were previous people. Um, but there's not heaps. I would say there's about five mm. in New Zealand, unless there's more that I don't know about. Mm. But there's heaps in Australia because the training is like an Australasia training that I did. But there's ones in America and Europe and stuff as well. Mm. And as a sort of movement or, you know, in terms of popularity or whatever, is it is it is it pretty big? Like people... It's popular? People know about it? Not really. No. Like, I think more now. Yeah. But, like, also people don't talk about it much because it can be misrepresented in the media quite easily. Mm. And I think they, they try and um, make – we try and make sure that we don't do, like, press that would put it in a bad light. You ain't going to see me in Women's Day, you know? Mm. Like, <laughs> mm. just because it can inflate it and make it seem like something that it's not. Um, so, yeah, podcasts are good because you get to talk about it yourself. <laughs> I remember you saying that you there was actually the retail job that mm-hmm. led you into the work that was like helping these yeah uh, middle class yeah. white women to discover things about their yeah. sexual lives yeah they um just need permission to have pleasure really just mm. like the permission to ask for what you want and I didn't really know how to do that at that time because I didn't have any tools I didn't have any like any of the tools that I have now to help people learn what it is that they want and then learn how to ask for it, because those are two very different things. Um, but I just knew that I, it's what I wanted to do. Like, it filled me with so much happiness. I had a session this morning, and I just, like, afterwards, like, talked to my flatmate and was like, oh, my God, I love, I love, I love what I do. I love my job, and it's perfectly, it's perfect for me. I don't understand how I found it. Um, unfortunately, I can't do it full time because I don't know if a lot of people like want sessions all the time. But like, I do it part time, and yeah, it makes me very happy. Mm. <laughs> um, what is your relationship? I'm just interested in knowing what your relationship is like has been like with pleasure throughout your life because it mm. sounds like now that's like a really like you've got quite a pleasure centered work right now, like that's yeah. the core, right? So yeah, what's your relationship to pleasure been like through your life? Very 
convoluted, very up and down, um, very... Like, I think because I grew up as, as a missionary kid. Yes, my parents are missionaries. Oh. And, um, and they like to say aid workers. <laughs> cool, 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 um, cool. And they obviously, through no fault of their own, you know, adhere to quite puritanical views on sex and um, pleasure and stuff. So we just didn't really talk about... My family's quite open. Like, we talk about a lot of stuff. But obviously, sex wasn't talked about and... Definitely, like, sexuality stuff wasn't even, like, on the radar. Mm. So I think I discovered pleasure quite early, like, quite early. I feel like I masturbated when I was, like, six. I think I've talked to a lot of people, and I think there are heaps of people, if they're just being honest, will admit that they've Mm. felt pleasure quite young. And I think it's our society's way that we've developed to where we are that, that terrifies people and that makes them freak out um, but I think it's quite normal and it's quite natural and as long as you're you know there's not no bad things happening it's just you discovering your own body mm. it's such a normal part of life um, mm. and stigmatizing it so young can cause like a lifetime's worth of stuff you have to undo um, so my relationship to pleasure started I think I think I always knew pleasure was good like always knew that and that's why I think I moved away from like Christian mindsets of thinking about sex and pleasure and how it was bad unless it's in marriage and I just always was like that can't be right that just can't <laughs> be right like <laughs> this just doesn't, doesn't feel right in my body and it doesn't sound right but I um, obviously took on the shame of that um, and yeah I think I allowed myself to feel pleasure but didn't consciously acknowledge it um, and always felt like it was a very like naughty thing to do. Um, and then I grew up, and yeah, I think I just moved away from. I think there was still lots of shame around pleasure, but self pleasure was always really good. It was pleasure with other people that was not good. So I think, and I was like dating men most of my life until recently, and like um, I would say that I was queer that whole time just without the language and the ability to articulate it um Mm. but what that meant is that i didn't actually like feel let myself ask for things that i wanted pretty much the entire time i was having sex with before i went into somatic work and Mm. turns out that once i started doing somatic work is when i started prioritizing my own pleasure and so i came out and mm. that the the timing is not um, coincidental, I think. <laughs> mm. Yeah. <laughs> is there? Um, I, look, I don't want to get into coming out narratives particularly, yeah, yeah. but I. But since you brought it up, I'm interested in mm. that and um, what the feeling around that coming out was for you. Is it? Is there a, a a loss and a grief, or is there a? Yeah. What is the? the what feeling? are you attached to that? Um, I agree with you. I'm like not. I'm not precious around coming out stories <laughs> because also coming out like. Um, you're, as you probably know, like um, it in it in what's the word? It solidifies um, heteronormativity as the norm, mm. and so coming out is like saying, you know, queer people are so other that we have to come out. So yes, I agree with you. But in saying that, um, coming out for me was basically just saying goodbye to a six-year relationship with a really good person who just happened to not, like, to be a guy. And I just mm. couldn't help that I'm really, really gay. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so gay. Um, so, like, yeah, there was grief and there was sadness, but also, like, you know, a new chapter and, like, excitement and happiness that I'm, like, finally being, like, true mm. with myself. Mm. Um but it's difficult because, like, your family and stuff, they'll always be like, but you dated men for so long. Mm. Um, and they don't really believe you. But, like, it's okay. It's not for them. <laughs> but, yeah, coming out was not that hard for me in the social sense, but in the family sense. Like, I just – it's thrown an, an entire spanner into my family life. Like, we were very tight and now not so much. Mm. <laughs> How gay is too gay? How gay is too gay? I, I don't know. Like, I feel like – I'm like, I could tell my parents, like, 
my partner has a cock sometimes. Does that help? Like, <laughs> if it's just a penis that you're worried about, like, we can facilitate that. Like, <laughs> and you, you feel ready to have that conversation with your parents? I do say stuff like that to them, and that's why we have a fraught relationship. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. I, have, I can't help it. <laughs> like, life is too short to not say what you mean. Mm, yeah, mm-hmm. But it gets me into a lot of trouble. <laughs> um. So it sounds like you didn't get heaps of sex ed from your parents, no. right? But one of the things we were interested in is, like, what your formal sex edu- education was like. Oh, very minimal. Mm. Very penis and vagina. This uh, sounds very typical. Very yeah. condoms, very, um, don't have sex or you'll die. Uh, don't have sex or you'll get pregnant. Um, no abstinence, like, education that they were teaching us abstinence. Like, not even an awareness that they were teaching us that. Just, like, just don't do it. And because the Christian thing on top. So Mm. if I had gone to public school, which was secular, maybe Maybe I would have... Maybe slightly different. Maybe slightly, but, like, probably not. No, no, no. We had abstinence training. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, because we're all under the Queen's regime and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, Colonial thinking and all that. So, Mm. like, it's not a surprise. And so my formal, I think... Basically, all I remember is lear- that was useful was learning a little bit about periods. And I learned about like, which has got nothing to do with sex. It's just like, that's health class. It's different to sex ed. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. if you're talking about sex, what I think is boundaries and communication. That mm-hmm. is what you need to be learning with sex. Forget about your bits. Yeah. Your bits are actually quite irrelevant when it comes to having sex. You can mush your bits against anybody else's bits. It doesn't matter what they are. Mm. But if you don't know how to talk about what you want and what's useful for you, knowing about the anatomy of your bits is kind of pointless. It's good to know about your anatomy, but I think what's more important is to know how to communicate first. Mm. Um, you can have so much sex without even touching genitals. Like It's interesting, though, because, like, the Sex and Space podcast, too, is, like, not strictly about sex. Like, we're we're sort of, like, bodies are in there, genders are in there, you know, sex acts are there, sexualities. Yeah, it's very cool. We do take the um, spacious Mm. approach. That's (laughs) very cool. I love your pun there, and that's the first time I've made that, and I'm happy with my joke. Oh, my God. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But for you, you, this is what you feel like is missing in sex education. It's, like, consent and boundaries. Yeah, Mm. and just talking about what you want, and maybe teaching people how to breathe like is that a crazy thing to think about like teaching young kids how to breathe when they're stressed or anxious kids won't say to you I'm stressed they'll say I have a stomach ache they won't like like, they don't know what stress is they don't Mm. know how to like they don't have language for that so they just say I have a stomach ache I feel Mm. sick I feel yuck or they're like I'm sleepy I want to go to sleep but like if you just taught people from a young age how to self-regulate, then by the time you get to a point where you're having sex education at puberty or whenever it is, it should be before that, but anyway, um, then maybe there's a bit more self-awareness and like just a bit more calmness around yourself so you can have conversations around bodies without being like, ooh, mm-hmm. they still giggle and that's fine because <laughs> sex is hilarious. Bodies so are weird. I just want you to connect the dots to me because you're talking yes. about breathing. Yeah. And you're talking about uh, being comfortable with mm-hmm. sex. And I don't think everybody's going to see us a, a straight line, line there. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So And self-regulate, was that the word you used? Yes. Yeah. So self-regulating, all I mean by that is being able to regulate your own emotions and your feelings and your body and how you feel. So, like, not many people can like articulate that they can even do that but they probably can do that you know unless your anxiety um take really takes over you and you actually need to need to do things certain things to make yourself less heightened um i think so drawing the line between breathing and sex we learn to like i don't know about you but i learned to masturbate in like like Quiet, quietly so no one would hear you and like quickly so you wouldn't get caught and then also like intention so you're like you can't see yeah. me but I'm like <laughs> that is jiggling. so familiar yeah. this like, is like eyes closed shoulders hunched like so body compressed inwards it's a hundred meter sprint and the, and the goal's in sight yeah 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 thing. it's not about the journey right yeah. So, yeah exactly and I used to do it in a bunk bed so you gotta be careful about shaking the top one right <laughs> whoa <laughs> That's great. So you're like, 
and like really <laughs> tense and like this and everything's really closed and you can actually experience pleasure through relaxation. Um, it's harder because you've spent like how old are you? Thirty four. Thirty nine. Thirty nine. You spent yeah. almost forty years feeling pleasure one way might take you another 40 years to learn pleasure another way, and that's mm. okay. But the thing is if whether you want to do that or not. So drawing a line between breathing and sex, I think it's a very clear line. Like, breathing is just like a normal thing that we do, but when you consciously do it, it changes your nervous system. You can literally aid your own evolution by cha- choosing to breathe in a certain way and doing certain types of bre- breathing that activates your parasympathetic nervous system that's the one Mm. Um, your sympathetic is like fight and flight your parasympathetic is rest and relax unless I've got the reverse which I could fact check later but like I'm pretty sure that's the (laughs) one but the the point of the um, of that is to say that like if you can activate your parasympathetic nervous system by yourself then you can self-regulate and if you can self-regulate you can be calm in a moment of your first time having sex with someone and feeling scared and anxious, regulating yourself, learning that, oh, I can actually stop and say, oh, I actually want that, not this. Uh, this feels good. This doesn't feel good. Being able to feel safe to, to even say no, not just no, I don't want to have sex, but no, I don't like what you're doing. Can you change it? Mm. How has anyone ever really been able to do that in a first sexual encounter? Like, I don't think I would have been able to. Uh, no, all my <laughs> horror stories. Yeah, um, yeah, and no, I don't think so. And it's it is because you're focused on a on maybe the end outcome, maybe yeah. or even or even completing it as like a tick. Mm. Um, I, I've I've now lost my virginity or mm. something mm. like that. You know what I mean? It's um, yeah. There's no focus on on pleasure until mm. you're bullshitting with your with your teenage boy mates about funny how thing. great it was <laughs> funny thing that yeah. sex not having a focus on pleasure yeah I'm really interested in that because I recently heard about the prevalence of um, women who experience pain I think that's what the research mm-hmm. has been mm-hmm. around women who experience pain with sex and doctors not really believing them and you know sort of being like oh well that's just and actually our sex education training us that mm. pain is n- normal and that you should just have to sort of push through until it gets better. And I'm interested in whether you think that has a relationship with this nervous system stuff you're talking about. Like, because I can't imagine that the whole body being tense is particularly good for, like, no. I don't know, natural fluids yeah. and the vaginal canal yeah. making things smooth and easy, you know? Like, has the, has the lube industry just totally <laughs> suck at us by, uh, <laughs> by, by playing on the amount of capitalist stress we're all under? Like, <laughs> okay, pause, because I want to say seven things. <laughs> yeah, just like waiting. It's like, okay, there's that one, that one. That, okay, so to touch on everything you've said, maybe we'll go backwards. Lube, please use lube. Lube, lube, lube. Use lube all the time. Do not ever be stingy with lube. Use lube. That's all I have to say about lube. Do you have a particular brand? <laughs> no, nothing. Okay. Just use something that feels good for you that's cheap and affordable and... Um, not too cheap, but like, just use lube. For the love of God, use lube. Like, lube is great. Be messy. Have so many sex towels. Make a blanket of sex towels. I used to experience pain almost every time I would have penetrative sex with a penis. Wow. Like, and I, it's just normal. You're just normalized. But it's not normal. Once your body is relaxed, you can notice what you don't like. And once you can communicate what that is, then you can say what it is. And then you can ask for something else. But this idea of virginity even being a thing is like such an archaic concept that really only exists for women or people who were, you know, socialized female because we were cattle and it was a trading card. Your virginity was something that could be traded, basically. So I just don't believe in the concept either. And people can have have a hymen after they've had sex. After they've given birth, some people still have bits of their hymen still there like just everyone let go of this idea that virginity is a thing for penis people vulva people people in between virginity is not a thing okay what was the next one (laughs) something else (laughs) um teaching pain and yeah i guess there's this like idea of like with a person with a penis and a person with a vulva the first time they have sex it's gonna like hurt what a what a crazy notion. Like, why would pain ever be good unless you're into pain in a consensual way? Like, 
why are we okay with that that story? Like, it's I know people who've had sex, and I I hate saying this. I'm not I'm not I'm not shitting on penis and vulva sex. And it can be amazing, and I've had good sex that way as well. But the people who I've talked to who've had really good first time experiences have been same-sex couples because they've gone really slowly and they've gone really delicately with each other and just taken their time. And, like, I have yet to hear, somebody please tell me a nice, happy penis involve a first-time experience that was good for both of them. And now, this. Thank you for contacting Barbarellas. I'm sorry, our receptivar is currently microflaging their hermaphrobot and cannot answer you personally. If you do not require live interaction, please choose from the following list of options. If you are a carbon-based life form and wish to have sex with others of a similar composition, press 1. If you are silicon-based and wish to co-lubricate, press 2. If you're ammonia-based and wish to rapturously intermingle your mineral salts, press 3. If you are a multi-limbed tardigrade and incapable of feeling, idly palpate the numeral 4. For all other inquiries, account balances, tutorials and messages for the Galactitudes, press 5. Thank you. Marvellous, your pleasure is our business. And now... To more weapons grade content. What is your view on where we're getting our sex education and mm. what media is representing? Like, what do you think mm. we need to be showing our young people? Um, that's a really nuanced question. I think, and our old people, mm. everybody, our old people. Yeah. <laughs> I, in an ideal world. Like, porn is not in, innately bad. I don't... But it, it was never meant to be a, a sex education device. It's always been a form of titillation. It's only meant to entice and to turn you on, not to educate. And porn stars are the first people who will tell you that they don't want to educate people about sex. It is a fantasy that they're creating. So, so many people currently learn about sex through porn, as did I. Um, and that was the first sex I ever saw or learned from. So, and I know that there's so many people who are in that boat. So what else could we... And then sex education schools, fuck, it's awkward. Mm. Like your, te- your health teacher telling you about bananas and you're just like, well, stop talking, please. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know. I think we need to be creative about it. Mm. I think we need to be... I feel like there's a way to do it with art, to like, there's this amazing initiative called Yes, Yes, Yes. Um, I didn't actually get to see it, but everything I've seen about it seems like it's completely 100% what we need. We need theater people to go into schools, do a thing, do a, do a interactive thing with um, kids talking about their experiences and being f- open with it and mm-hmm. in a collaborative way that's not mm-hmm. just... The system of schools just in general is bad. So trying to input a good thing into a broken system is just not going to be useful either. So, like, schools are modeled off of factories, Mm -hmm. the bells and the time and the person sitting there for, like, 60 minutes at a time. It's just – it's modeled off of something that's broken. I don't know why we're still using that model of Mm -hmm. education. So putting sex education into an already broken model is just stupid. But if we're going to do that, I think, yeah, that kind of model is amazing because it's collaborative Mm -hmm. and it's artistic and it uses different parts of your brain at the same time. Mm. Um, Yeah, for context, Yes, Yes, Yes was a pretty amazing project. They took um, the transcription from a rape – a rape trial in the states, and then they would get parts of the that was performed around high schools, and they would get um, members from the audience, kids, basically, to read out different roles. And they were mainly kids. It was about um, a sexual assault that happened at a party, mm. and um, and it was really exciting because the kids would get to read and you know, see them like stumbling through, but they could really re- resonate with the mm. with the characters, the bi- you know, the different roles of the bystander and the friend who really believed and the friend who didn't really believe and the 
um, attitude of the guys around the time. And, you know, this really interesting kind of exchange happened and there were live videos from kids from high school age that were talking about first kisses, what a crush is, you know. And I agree with you. Yeah, that was a really powerful, powerful tool to use. And did they, the kids seem like, because I didn't see it, did they seem engaged and did they seem like they were, like... They were like beating, like yeah. fighting each other off with sticks yeah. to get on that stage to like read those roles badly. There like man, <laughs> yeah. like, they were not good readers, but it was so great. <laughs> and have you ever seen that level of enthusiasm in a health class? Right. No, they're just like falling asleep or hiding behind their books. Mm. Like just mm. no. So, boy, that's cool. Like that's a good response from mm. people of that age because I remember being that age and I was awkward as fuck when it comes to like talking about that kind of thing actually I learned a lot of sex ed from some um, historical romance fiction softcore erotica books that were packaged very Christian I've just been rereading them lately and I've been oh. having a whale of a time what's the brand what are they called I don't called? want to say it it's okay. so <laughs> embarrassing <laughs> there's so there's so much Jesus talk so like I was just like wading through all this Jesus talk. Anyway, yeah. To get to the kinky bits. To get to the kinky bits. Yeah. Oh, so and I, I read, reread them and they were actually really tame now that I'm an adult. I was like, she was just massaging his shoulders and like breathing on his neck. Like, that's like. <laughs> oh my God. And I remember those Harlequin Mills and Boone when they came to the Titadangi Library. Yeah. And I would like just get so excited about getting to the red ones, the pink ones that were the only kiss, the, the red ones were real hot sex. Is that happen. how they coded it? Yeah, mm. and so you go for the, they have sex even on the Harlequin Mills and Boone. Oh. And so you'd go through the red ones and. Jess. It was just, it was, yeah. I know, and I, I don't know how my mum was letting me get those out of the library. I was like 12, and it was such a good time with that those books. It was a good time. Same, I'm like, how did all those like Christian aunties like. Let us read those books. Like, I think they were reading them too, and they didn't want to, like, get out it. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's no, how that, they were getting their <laughs> self course. <as well. laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. Blimey, blokes don't read that kind of stuff. Oh, don't they? No, no. You're hunting for, hunting for lingerie pitches or something mm. like that, and, you know, in things or something. I think like, <laughs> stories in GQ or something, weren't there, like, things like that that were, like, erotic um, tales or, like, met her on a train station? Don't know. No, it's all a bit hard, I think, reading. Reading a great long story. Right. You need boobs. Boobs. <laughs> boobs. Right. Okay. <laughs> I I find that really interesting. And I because I don't believe in the concept of gender, I'm really interested how that has been how that comes to pass. Because I think that there's essentially like we are the genders we are because we were socialized that way and we perform our genders every day. But like I know people who were born female who um, AFAB people who the same as you they're just like like their first sexual experiences when they're young is like kissing like Playboy magazines yeah. but you know they were gay as fuck but like <laughs> <laughs> but like but they weren't men you know so like I'm interested in like how yeah like how we stereotype and how we classify like men do this and women do this and like I think yeah I'm really interested in that and I want I want to know more about different people's experiences mm. about how they were first and what turned them on and what like you're right most people don't want to read a great long story but I love reading so I would have gravitated to that sort of erotica yeah. some people would have been like ooh mo-, and I love watching sex scenes in movies you know that kind of thing yeah um, so everyone's got their own way of doing it, eh? Yeah, totally. I, I had a really good friend of mine who, who um, was a guy, and he, what's the really famous book? Is it The Joy of Sex? Yeah. His parents had The Joy of Sex, and he, cool. he'd found it on a bookshelf, you know. Cool. And he he read that, and he read another one about karate and all this kind of stuff, and he was just really into reading these these books, and he... Um, yeah, learn heaps. He was this great fountain of knowledge, which is probably quite helpful for us, Whoa. you know, when we're all sort of 13 years old and we're like, oh, where do you put it? <laughs> so maybe that's you know. another way. Maybe it's just having resources readily available for your kids for them to find it by themselves when they're ready. Yeah, and when just they're curious. Just a shelf of them. Just like... As opposed to going to Google and being hit up with... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to regulate internet use, though, like in a really effective and Mm. giving you your freedom Mm. way, you know? 
And I think there's a lot of problems with filters too because there's mm. some really great um, mm. sex-positive content out yeah. there that then gets crushed by the filter if, that you can't get through. I wonder if my website has a filter. Maybe if yours is not getting through. I don't, um, look, yeah. we don't even know if our Instagram is getting through yeah. filters at the moment. It's yeah. got the word sex in it, you know. Um, I just want to circle back yes. to what you said because yep. you said something that I think a lot of people would find quite radical, which is that you don't believe that gender exists. I know that it exists, obviously, because we have constructed it. But I don't think that innately gender, if we were just all left to our own devices, yes, we have different genitals, but intersex people exist also. And they're like, I think I told someone the wrong statistic the other day. I think I said it was 20%, but I think it's 2% of the population. Is two is in there somewhere. There's a big difference between 20 and 2, <laughs> so I'll correct myself. But um, it's about the same amount of people who are naturally red-headed, whichever one that is. Yeah, yeah. that's right. So, like, cool. you know, sex is fluid. Your sex is fluid. Your genitals can be on a spectrum of types and ways. Your gender is also fluid. We know more about that, but I think there's more controversy around talking about your sex, your your actual sex at birth being fluid because people still think you can only be male or female. So biological sex is what the doctor decides you are based on looking at, at your genitals. The outside of your genitals. As, yeah. a, as a, when you're born. Okay. Yeah. Like, and s- people still get it wrong. Mm. You know, you could be hormonally slightly different. There just needs to be more info about being intersex. There's a really, really great um, comic artist that talks about being intersex. Rooster Tales comic, I think. They're really cool. cool. Um, they, um, I got a little resource from them at the last Queers and Where's Night Market, which mm-hmm. is another one that's coming up in December. Um, but yeah, so I think gender, obviously it exists because we're all performing it, but I think it's our choice whether we want to adhere to that. I was just telling my mom this yesterday, like you think your gender is a given and you think it's super fixed because you don't know anything else. But what toys were you giving as a kid? Like, I was given tea sets and Barbies. Those things facilitate conversation. Why do you think I'm such a good, like, conversationalist? Because they were, those skills were honed in, honed in me from so young. Whereas what did my brother get? I don't know, like, building blocks and whatever other spatial, like, hands-on sort of toys. And, like, those things promote spatial awareness. And, like, I remember being in psychology class and learning that men are more spatial and women are more verbal. And it's like, are we? Or was it just fostered more, Mm -hmm. that trait? Um, Women are more in tune with our emotions. It's like, no, those things are rewarded. Like, we're rewarded when we are in tune with our emotions. Men are not. Of course there's toxic masculinity because you're never rewarded for feeling an emotion that isn't anger. So are we surprised that gender is the way that it is? Like, Mm. so if it's constructed, we can deconstruct it. Like, yeah, I don't know. Mm. Does that make sense? I mean, it does to me. I'm I'm so interested in what, um, because I know that you define yourself as non-binary. I don't even like that word. I just use okay. it because people find it like useful. Okay. To it's for benefit of others. What word would you choose if it was more acceptable? Like no gender. Yeah. No gender. Just okay, great. Because there is no gender. <laughs> great. That's so interesting. So for you, it's like the the system is a joke. It's just we're just people. Mm. As Lady Gaga said, mm. aren't we all just people? <laughs> <laughs> She's a G. <laughs> Let it be noted that uh, Sarita's hair today is very Gaga-esque. <laughs> <laughs> Bleach to what? Um, what colour would you call that? Like it's like a turquoise. Like it's mermaid slut. Mermaid yeah, slut mermaid is slut. the exact tone. Mermaid if you're slut. looking for the Sarita aesthetic, yeah. <laughs> you can find mermaid slut in any <laughs> local pharmacy that stocks. Yeah. Please go and ask. <laughs> Do you have the colour mermaid slut? Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Ah, that's really interesting. Thank you for unpacking that so beautifully. No, I, I like it. I like the position of everybody being you know, human. I find it much... It's very easy to sort of grow empathy from a, a kind of that that space as opposed to like you're in your corner you're in that corner and we're kind of trying to understand each other or mm. talk to each other it's you know it's mm. so much much more common ground when everyone's a human right mm-hmm. yeah you'd hope so eh? mm. yeah I, I I'm also interested for you in what you think I mean I think we talked about this a little bit but what you think the biggest shift for you has been 
personally across your life? I guess it doesn't have to have to do with sex, but I'm interested in how you would answer that question if we pose it. Mm. I've actually been thinking about this a lot. That's a very good question. Um, mm. I think the biggest shift for my life has been in the last few years, just these last few couple of years. I've lost most of my, the people I used to have in my life, like all my friends, like who I used to know. Um, they all just sort of dropped away. And I think that happens when you go into the 30s and stuff like that. And the sh- shift happens, but it, ha- it was quite drastic. So I was very alone, very fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I started, that's after I started doing somatic work and connecting to my body and my body waking up and realizing that I wasn't like in the right relationship with the right people. Um, and like I was gay as fuck. And <laughs> also more getting into activism spaces and just being more conscious about how I live. So all of that sort of happened at the same time. So I think it all, it, this is an old joke, like, oh, all lesbians are vegan. And it's like, you know, you, this is, it's a stereotype and it's a joke, but it's kind of funny because it's kind of true because <laughs> as soon as you start being conscious about one thing, you start becoming conscious about other things and you start mm-hmm. having an awareness over other things, the inequities of the world, and, like, you just can't watch a movie anymore. I just want to shut off my brain and just be able to watch a movie and not be angry, mm. but I can't. Um, so I think that has probably been the biggest shift, an amalgamation of a somatic opening um, of my body and my eyes being open to all of the shit, fuck, horrible things that are happening in the world. Mm. Um, and also realizing that I just want to like do things that help my corner of the world feel less scared when all this other bad shit is happening mm. like doing a queer strip club <laughs> yeah um, so Body House is a probably going to be the best thing I've ever done with my life I can mm. I can just quit now I've peaked early very early <laughs> at the age of 30 um, I can just die happy now um, it's my all time dream of my life to create a um, queer strip club so yeah and you're also the founder and performer I'm not going to perform but I think some of the imagery makes it look like I'm going to perform it's just because we I was, yeah, yeah so it's I was a good question yeah a lot of people were like oh are you going to perform I was like no I would really love to but like I think it's um, I think I would like other people to have that space but also like I will be too busy on the night, (laughs) (laughs) running around, making sure everything's going okay. So every performer is is queer, trans, GNC, what's the... At least queer. Like, we... It's hard to find people who... Our main priority is um, queer and trans and gender non-conforming people of colour, just the most marginalised group you could find, basically. (laughs) (laughs) And um, give them a space to be sexy. Um, and short of that, everybody is queer. Um, and yeah, we've tried to curate a group of folk that like have a little bit, everyone brings a little something different to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, we want, really want to prioritize um, people of color in that space as well. So yeah, you'll see. <laughs> and is the, I know that. Um Safety is a big issue yes. for the queer community and for many different communities, right? The word safety has come up in the last few mm-hmm. years. So in terms of making the space safe mm-hmm. for a really marginalised group to feel safe, to be sexy, mm-hmm. how, how do you do that? Like, are only certain people allowed in the door? Like, what's the mm. protocols? So we are going to have um, safer spaces, very, very visible safer spaces, people um, walking around on the night, um, wearing pink high-vis vests, so you Beautiful. can actually see them, and they are there to be the first protocol. And um, if it's a more serious matter, we've got a queer bouncer who's circulating on the night, who's uh-huh. um, very integrated into the community and knows people and knows the people who are dancing as well, like personally, so that's very useful. Um, and um, on top of that, we're having an induction um, into the club, so you can only get in in groups, and each one of those groups gets a formal in- induction as they come in, and mm-hmm. um, they basically just have to agree to our Safer Spaces guidelines, which will be like drilled into them 
And then you get a sticker to put on your phone, so you can't take any pictures or videos. Ah. Two stickers, because everyone has two p- cameras now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is very San Francisco. I had that exact yeah. process in San Francisco. Cool. One of the that's clubs. good. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I'm glad that that's something that it's a model that works then. Ah, you guys are cosmopolitan as, and it's so one of your first happy. ones. <laughs> well, I just know that that's what I would want if it was me performing. Mm-hmm. And kind of scary to perform to a group of the entire que- queer community. You know, be naked. How salacious. Do you think communication can be sexy? Oh, hell yes. Absolutely. (laughs) It's what I teach people all day. (laughs) Absolutely. So if I was to come to you and be like, I I can't ask for what I want. I don't even know what I want. Mm -hmm. I do the things, but I don't know what I'm... Mm -hmm. If I was to say, if I was to come to you Mm -hmm. like that, what, what would you do? We would first acknowledge where you're feeling that in your body. Mm. And we might spend a whole session just breathing and noticing and allowing what you're feeling in your body, and you might feel nothing, and that's fine. Um, And I would also get you to um, play a game with me about, it's called Three Minute Games. I'm not going to tell you what it is. No. But But, um, it teaches you how to realize what role you usually play when there's touch involved. There's many different roles you can play. You can be giving or receiving or taking or allowing. Um, And we would figure out where you're most comfortable and go from there and then figure out how we can get you into one of the other roles that are maybe not so comfortable for you. And how do you negotiate that with your partner if you have one or partners? Mm. Um, and just address the ugh. Mm. What, is, what is the ugh? Where is that in your body? Um, and go from there. God, Tim, imagine what, this in every high school. <laughs> I know. You maybe, know. I'm just imagining Imagine in... a Sarita in every school, you know? Yeah. Maybe that's all what need we this. need. A somatic sex educator in every school, not a therapist. Do, but do people come with a ugh, or do they not really know what they're coming with? Like, have they identified that there there is an ugh, or they come with a with a vacuum? How do, how does it sort of what's the what's the sort of I don't know your average punter? Mm. Um, I think people come with a variety of ways of wording it. But underneath everything, it's usually the same question is, am I normal? Mm. Is what I'm experiencing or whatever deficiency I'm feeling or facing, is that normal? The answer is always yes. Um, And second is we just have such a lack of emphasis on pleasure in our society. Mm. It's how do I access pleasure? Mm. So we just do that. It's really simple. <laughs> so if someone listening is wanting to get in touch with you, mm-hmm. because it, personally I'm like, everybody needs this. <laughs> yes. I need a book session. How do they do that? Like, how do they get in touch with you? You can Google me, Somatic Sarita. Mm-hmm. Somatic, like somatic, sounds like somatic. Um, <laughs> and Sarita, S-A-R-I-T-A, <laughs> just is dying. <laughs> just like the time you could have spelled it. I could have spelled it. Somatic, somatic, somatic. S-O-M-A-T-I-C. Somatic Sarita, or you can find me on Instagram but or on Facebook, Somatic Sarita. Yeah. It's quite. That's quite. It's it's just the same across all platforms. I think <laughs> it has been such a pleasure having this conversation with you. And I would, same. yeah, I am so desperate yeah. to do another podcast, maybe further down the track, where yes. we actually do a session on yeah. the on the mics. That would be amazing. That'd um, be cool. Yeah, thank you so much for thank your time you. and all of your lovely like delving into yourself and to, and thank you for the work you do as thank well. Thank you yeah. for having me. Mm-mm. Amazing. Thanks very much.
I hope you enjoyed that podcast. I know we certainly did. Sure did. <laughs> um, if you are wanting to uh, follow up or find Sarita, you should go to www.somaticsarita.com. And since recording this podcast, actually, I've had a couple of sessions with Sarita um, on their somatic sexology work one-on-one, and they were pretty transformative, I'm not going to lie. so Sign me up. Yeah. yeah we'll every- do another episode. Everybody needs to get to get a get a piece of this action. But um, if you want to follow their Instagram, they're at Somatic Sarita. That's their handle, and they've also got a sex education series with Renews. That's R E colon News. So www.renews.co.nz, and you can see uh, some of their amazing um, amazing work there. Yeah. Awesome. Look them up. Look them up. Um, as you know, if you tuned in last week uh we're just kicking off this podcast journey uh we've already got some amazing interviews coming up um who are we talking to coming up in the next few episodes we talk the future of sex ed ending hiv sex and clowning (laughs) sex and clowning um what it's like to be a sex worker um raising your child non-binary uh to name but a few uh, we'd also love to hear from you guys, the audience. Um, we want to hear your love, your criticism, I think, your feedback, uh, ideas to any topics you want covered, um, any people that you think we should be chatting to, or if you just simply want to check in. Um, you can absolutely send us emails, pictures, recordings, voice recordings, or anything else. Just send them to hello at sexandspace.com. Um, we'd love to include them in any upcoming episodes. Um and you can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at sexinspace.com. That is sex in space, D-O-T-C-O-M. And if you enjoyed this podcast and have some spare swipes or clicks to go around, I don't know, then maybe leaving us a five-star rating would be pretty cute. You know, a lovely review on good old Apple Podcasts. Yes, please. Um, they help so much and we will definitely be shouting them out on future episodes. So please do keep your incredibly sexy feedback coming. And a massive thanks to all of our guests, the good folks at Factory Studios, to the team at String Theory, to Andrew, Tanya, Brandon, David and Richard for their amazing voices. And thank you to my amazing co-host, Tim Blower. And That's me. And to you all for making it all the way to the end with us. Join us next week. Bye. Bye. If you found some of this material a little disconcerting, that is absolutely our intention.